had a meeting with a Christian leader in, in downtown Flint. The Christian leader had a theory that everybody is interested in talking about their problems. He said, Ken, he said, watch this. He said, people have problems with their finances. People have problems with their marriage. People have problems with their kids. And people have problems with their health. He said, watch this. When I talk to anybody, I'll go through that list. And one of those will stand out to that person. It'll be their finances, their marriage, their children, their health. And some of you are sitting there thinking, I got all four. I got all four. And probably in our lifetimes, all of us will touch on maybe all of those in our lifetime. So we had this meeting with a, with a, with a kind of blustering mayor of Flint, Don Williamson. And, and I saw this Christian leader talk about money. And Don Williamson right away said, you know, I'm a millionaire. I don't even take a salary from the city of Flint. I, I, they give me a dollar a year and I put it under my glass. It's there. And I saw it on the, on the desk of the mayor in Flint. Not a problem with me. And then this Christian leader talked about marriage and nothing. They talked about children, nothing. They talked about health, nothing. The guy was, had no problems. He was healthy, wealthy, with a good marriage and good health. What did I leave out? His kids were fine. And so uh, all that was done, and we closed our meeting. We were in the presidential suite, and we closed our meeting, and Mayor Williamson walked over to the door and started to go out, and then he turned back and he said, that doctor in the Netherlands that you were talking about, I would like him to do blood work on me. And I thought, oh, so there was some interest in that. Isn't that interesting? What, what, what would be your problem? To, maybe not those four. Maybe it would be, wouldn't be limited to, to those four. Who has um, had a, maybe you right now have a hard marriage, or you have a child who is troubled, or you have a financial concern, or you're dealing with a sickness or a disease or a pain or loneliness or anxiety or depression or habitual sin or, or a, a fail, failure in your past or some dark secret or some foreboding in the future. You got pro- If you took a little index card today, just a little white index card, let's do this in our mind right now. You have a little white index card and we're imagining that you're holding that. I would like you to take that index card and take out your imaginary pen right now. I would like you to write on that card the problem you're thinking about. You know, the one that keeps you awake at night. The one that troubles you the most. What would that be? You can write, and if you can't write anything on the card, well, I, I hate to bring it up, but you will soon. But, but I mean, praise the Lord today that, that you don't have a pressing, a pressing need. And when I say this, the reason I say this is because I, we don't want to read the Bible and be so far removed from it that, we, that, that it doesn't mean anything to us. The letter that, we, that the Sunday read to us today, the letter that Peter wrote to the people in, 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 uh, just south of the Black Sea in modern Turkey, ancient Asia Minor, the letter that he wrote, he wrote to help them, to encourage them, because they had a problem. And their problem was they were suffering persecution as Christians, and the, suffer- and the persecution would intensify. That was their problem. But the things that... Paul, that Peter, did I say Paul? Because it wasn't Paul, it was Peter. The things that Peter wrote to them, very similar to the things that Paul wrote, were, they were specific to the kind of suffering that they were going through. But they apply to every kind of problem that you can imagine. Sometimes people say, 
Why would God, if he's good and powerful, allow evil? Sometimes people say that. Why would God, if he's good, if he made everything, and he's all-powerful, and he's good, sometimes they'll say, why would that God, who is good and powerful, why would he allow evil? And responding to that question, there's a big word that we sometimes use. Maybe you don't use this very often. It's called theodicy. The response to that question is called theodicy. There's, there are books that are written. There are lectures that are given. There, there's a whole, there, hundreds of thousands of people across time have tried to answer the question, why would God, if he's good and powerful, allow evil? Now, what's interesting to me as I studied this passage this week that we just read is the apostles didn't have a complex theodicy. The apostles didn't have a complex way of responding to that question, God, if you're powerful and if you're good, why are you letting bad things happen to me? The answers the apostles had, the men that saw Jesus suffer, the men that suffered with Jesus, and, and the women for that matter, that suffered, that saw Jesus suffer, that suffered with Jesus, the answers that they gave were not philosophical. They were not complex. They were very simple. They were very pointed. They were very direct. They were like, there is a God. His son is Jesus. He died on the cross, was buried, and rose again. He went to heaven, and he's coming back. There is an eternal life. They were straightforward. They were simple, and they were logical in the response to that question. They were bold. They were direct. They were plain. And essentially, these men gave two simple, logical, plain, clear answers to that question. And those two simple, plain, logical, bold answers to that question are very, very clear in the text of Scripture that we're going to study today. And so that you won't miss them, I will tell them to you up front. In the, the text today is not, not verses 1 and 2, because if you're paying careful attention, you know we preached on verses 1 and 2 last week. It's verses 3 through 12. We have the boldness to assume we're going to be able to cover all of those verses today. We're going to teach those verses. What you want to have is a, a Bible open in your lap, a book like this, Bible open in your lap to 1 Peter or a phone or an iPad or an electronic device that you can actually look because what we're going to do, and when we do expository preaching, we're going to track right through one text of Scripture. We literally comment, comment on every word, and we're going to study that passage. So you want this open in your lap. And when, and when you look at that, what you're going to see is in verses 3 through 9, the first answer that it, the apostles give to the question, why the suffering? If you're loving God, if you're a powerful God, why suffering? The first one is your blessings will outweigh your burdens. Yes, you will have burdens, but your blessings will outweigh your burdens. The blessings that I'm going to give you are going to be weightier. They're going to be heavier then the great and heavy and weighty burdens that you're going to receive. That's essentially what's, what he's going to say in verses 3 through 9. And then in verses 10 through 12, he's going to say, your blessings are going to outlast your burdens. They're going to outweigh your burdens. They're weightier. Your blessings are going to be greater than your burdens. There's compensation in that. And your blessings are going to, be, are going to last longer than your burdens. That's verses 10 through 12. They didn't promise lighter burdens they, they, or fewer burdens. They promised longer blessings and weightier blessings. 
So if you remember last week in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 1 and 2, what did we say? And this, is a, this, this book is essentially a way that Peter had of encouraging Christians in churches about how to deal with the problem on their card, how to deal with their suffering, how to deal with their difficulties, how to deal with their persecution, how to deal with their difficulties. So and he, in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 1 and 2, the secret of that truth is found in the, the ways that he identified them. He said, you are what? Elect, and you are, you remember this? You're elect exiles, you're pilgrims, you're, you're uh, refugees. But, so in other words, you were rejected by men, but you are accepted by God. He essentially said in that first chunk that we covered last week, the way to deal with suffering is to remember who you are, where you came from, and where you're going. Yes, you're rejected by the world around you. They don't understand you or receive you, but God, and and it's Trinitarian, remember? God the Father, God the Spirit, God the Son have called you, elected you, chosen you. You are rejected by the world, but you are chosen by God. That was the review. But now we're looking at 1 Peter 1, 3 through 12, and essentially what we're going to say here, and what Peter says, and the way we simplify it for, for our minds to think about this, is we are going to be burdened. We are going to be burdened, but we are blessed. We're burdened, but we're blessed. Now, do you remember when you were in uh, English class, maybe an English composition class. They had you read a little book. Or if you have some interest in writing, they're always going to have you read a little book by Strunk and White. Remember E.B. White? Strunk and White. And what's that little book called? Anybody know? The Elements of Style. That's right. The Elements of Style. Peter did not have a copy of this book. And I'll tell you why. In Strunk and White's Elements of Style, what they're going to tell you is write in short, clear, simple, descriptive sentences. Keep those sentences short. Peter did not get this memo. So in this beautiful, and I'm not criticizing Peter, gonna meet him someday, hope to have a conversation with him. But in chapter 1, verses 3 through 5, you have a benediction. He's blessing God. He's bursting into praise for God. And it's one very complex, beautiful, rich sentence. It's, it's, and, and, um, in which he says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. To an inheritance, he's in the same sentence, to an inheritance that's imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Your composition teacher would flunk you for a sentence that complex. But it's the inspired word of God. So there you are. Peter writes this beautiful benediction to God. God, I'm praising you. And and, and there are five elements in it. But what I want to show you today is five observations from this passage today. Five, as time allows, five observations from this passage that will help you with that problem that you have on your card, that burden that you have on your card. And I'll just number them. Number one, our blessings will outweigh our burdens. And this is only for believers. If you're an unbeliever, you're kind of, you're listening in. But when you become a believer, this will be true about you. Your blessings will outweigh your burdens. Verses three through five, blessed be the God and Father 
of our Lord Jesus Christ. Notice he, he almost uses the full name of Jesus, our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he's caused us to be born again into a living hope through the resurrection of Christ from the dead to an inheritance that's imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. It's kept in heaven for you who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. So our blessings will outweigh our burdens. Look how weighty these blessings are. Five things in this under point one. We're blessed with mercy. You see it? Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ according to his great mercy. You know what mercy is. It's when he doesn't give you what you do deserve. And his mercy is great. So Peter's saying, that thing on your card is heavy, but God's mercy is heavier than that. And then, two, we're blessed with hope. Hope in the Bible is a strong confidence in the promises of God. So we're blessed with mercy, and the mercy itself is heavier than the problem on your card. And we're blessed with hope, a strong confidence in the promises of God. And the hope that he's given us is a living hope. It's a living hope. I was in the barbershop the other day. You can probably tell. I was in the barbershop, and the young man came, and he sat across against the wall, and the barber was giving it to him. He was just joking with him, and he was kind of kidding with him. You could tell they were close. They were friends. And then the young man came over, and he sat in the chair, and he said, they gave me an award last week for saving somebody's life. He said, what kind of work do you go? He says, I'm a police officer. And he says, somebody that was despairing of life had gone out into a field to take their life, and he found them before they died. And he rescued them. He saved their life. That's amazing. Can you imagine being able to save somebody's life? But listen, this is even heavier than that. Can you imagine being able to give somebody a living hope, meaning you were instrumental in them getting life forever, eternal life? That poor person that was in that field that tried to take their life he saved their life, but someday they're still going to die unless the Lord comes back and they knew the Lord. But if the person knows the Lord, they have a living hope. They, they have the confidence of eternal life. So first, mercy. Second, hope. Third, we're blessed with an imperishable inheritance, something really valuable that's going to last. This is the idiom. This is the picture that he uses. We're, we're born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven. <laughs> and, we're, and it's being guarded by God's power. Let's not read over the resurrection piece here. He, the apostles always made much of the resurrection. You know why that is? Because it happened. So if you met somebody and they told you they were going to die, and then they were going to rise again, and then they died, and they rose again, you would never stop talking about that. He, he said he was going to die and rise again, and then he died, and he rose again. All the stuff that he said would be true, wouldn't it? If he made claims, and he died and rose again, his claims, you could count on them. He predicted his death and his resurrection. Have you ever met anybody but Jesus that predicted their death and resurrection? I didn't think so. So you see the apostolic message. If you read the New Testament, and I know some of you are studying the book of Acts, take the book of Acts, read the book of Acts, and notice what the apostles talked about. They didn't say, Jesus was a wise philosopher. Oh, he was. He was the word. They didn't say, Jesus did so many nice things. That wasn't the emphasis of their message, even though Jesus did amazing, nice things. What did they say? He said he was going to die and rise again. And then he died and he rose again. He's alive. The resurrection. 
So the, the apostolic message is the resurrection. And you, again, can I address you right now if you have a pocket of doubt or maybe a big weight of doubt on you? And that is what you need to think about is not all the minutiae and all of the complex questions of the Bible. You need to concern yourself with one question. Is Jesus Christ alive? Because if Jesus Christ is alive, Adam and Eve are real people. Because Jesus said they're real people. If Jesus Christ is alive, what Genesis said is true. Because Jesus acted like what Genesis said is true. Like, I should be getting some amens from the faithful right now. I feel like I'm on my own. I'm working on my own. No, you're just thinking, hmm, that's very interesting. Oh, I'm going to stimulate you to help me out here. Like, is Jesus alive? Yes, he is. Do you believe Jesus? Yeah. Then Then everything he said is true. And so if he affirmed Old Testament characters, if there's a, I don't need to figure out if there was a Daniel. Jesus said there was a Daniel. I don't need to figure out if Adam and Eve were people. Jesus said they were people. I'm not surprised that Genesis is amazing poetry. It was written by God, but it was about real people, about real space and time events. And if we lose our grip on that, we're not going to believe anything. And that is where our culture is. Our culture is in absolute despair today because they have lost their place in the story of God. But the apostles would orient you to the story of God by saying, Jesus Christ is who he said he was. He's alive. If Jesus is alive, his word is true, I can build my life on that. I can build my marriage on that. I can do my parenting. Whatever the problem is on my card is little compared to that. That's big. Born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Can I get a hallelujah right there? Amen. And then it says, and this inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you. You ever have a little something and you're guarding it, you're watching it, and you're going, oh no, we got inflation. My money is worth less than it used to be. I used to be able to get a Big Mac for $2.50. Now it's $5. What am I going to do? I have only so much money to go. I have to worry about if my 401k is going to last as long as I do, and I want to last a long time. You ever think like this? Look at all the old people right now. We're going, yeah, that's right. That's what I'm thinking. Yeah. Young people are going, that's not going to be a problem. You know, but when you get older, you're like, oh, this my money's being eaten up with inflation. Or you have a little something and you think it's going to, someone's going to steal it. Someone's going to break it. Or, but then there's that, that, a lot of the stuff on your card is that, isn't it? A lot of the stuff on your card is what if my, what if I outlast my car? What if I outlast my money? What if somebody steals my money? What if somebody takes, what if somebody defrauds me of, of the, your a lot of what's on the card has to do with stuff. And this is why Peter says, I want to remind you that you have an inheritance that's unfading. He said, he calls it three things. Imperishable, not going to die. Undefiled, it's really worth something. Unfading, it's not going to fade away. It's kept in heaven for you. Now, who's keeping it? Oh, who by the power of God are being guarded through faith. So you have these five things if you missed them. One, you're blessed with mercy. Two, you're blessed with hope. Three, you're blessed with an imperishable inheritance. Four, you're blessed with security guarded by the power of God. And you're blessed with deliverance. That's the main overall thing. Salvation is a reference to our salvation. I don't know about you, but I want that. That would be heavier than anything that I could write on my card. I have a grandson, you. I know I, I talk about him all the time. His name is Cohen. He lived with us for a while. And Cohen is a sweet little boy. Yesterday, I was thinking about him, and his, his uh, picture popped up on my phone. He'd come over to visit, and he had gotten a black eye somehow playing and had a little black eye. It was the cutest little thing, and his little picture popped up on my phone. 
And I was remembering, I know how to make him happy. It's real easy. In Horton, there's a, there's a dollar general. All you have to do is take a couple of dollars and take Cohen to the dollar general and buy him something worthless. <laughs> and for a few minutes, he'll be happy. I, I just can't help doing that when he's around. I'm like, I, I think up something he can do for me. I'm like, hey, can you shoot those cans? I will take you to the Dollar General. And I'm like, okay, uh, can you help me mow? We'll go to the Dollar General. And we go to the Dollar General in order, and he buys something more. And, and, and sometimes it's broken before you get home. The stuff is worthless. <laughs> it's worthless. Yeah, and, and, and you, you got that new truck, didn't you? You said, this is the truck. This is the truck I've been looking for all my life. The nice thing about that truck that you got is it will never break, will it? You don't even have to insure it. You have to worry about it. It's, not, it's going to last forever. No, it's, yeah, yeah, you got that feeling like, I don't have anything that I know is going to last. Well, you have your salvation, and that's going to last. And that kind of changes the game. If a, listen, listen. If a young man starting out in life, he decided he was going to believe this Jesus story and build his life on that. I have a theory about that young man. He would have a spring in his step, wouldn't he? He would have a confidence other people didn't have. He would be oriented in a different way. He would be like, he'd be marching to the beat of a different drummer, wouldn't he? You know how I know that? Because that's what I did with my life. That's what I decided. Like I, my mom and my dad, they told me the Bible's true. I believe it. And I have an imperishable inheritance that will never fade away. And it's not kept by Ken, thank the Lord. It's kept by the power of God unto salvation, and it will be revealed in the last day, ready to be revealed in the last time. And then he says in verse 6, so that's number one, our blessings will outweigh our burdens. Number two, our blessings will outlast our burdens. Look at verse 6. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. There it specifically states what we had inferred earlier. This is about trials. It's about different kinds of trials, various variegated trials. And, and he says this, in this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials. Do you see it? Our, our blessing will outlast our burdens in that inheritance that's undefiled and unfading and kept by the power of God. And our blessing will, out, will, will outweigh our burdens and our blessing will outlast our burdens in this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you grieve by various trials. I, I've had some rejection in my life. I have permission from Lois to talk about some old girlfriends today. So I said, can I talk about old girlfriends? She told me, yes, that was last week. Okay, so this is Lori. There was Lori. Lori, I gave her two Valentines one day. Um, it was second grade. And, and the teacher who was, I don't know what she was thinking, went over and went, oh, Kenny gave Lori two Valentines. I'm like, really, you needed to announce that to the entire class? And Lori looked embarrassed, not happy. So that was rejection when I was young. And then later on, there was Violet, and I bought her a flower. First girl I ever bought a flower for, invited her to my school banquet, and the kids saw a picture of her and said it was my cousin. I'm saying, it's not my cousin. It's really a girlfriend. I really do have a girlfriend not related to me. I'm going to bring her to the, to the banquet and give her a flower. I'm going to prove that she stood me up. She never came to town. I have no idea what happened to her. I haven't spoken to her. This is what happened. You feel bad for me? That's what I'm working on. I'm working on you for this. She rejected me. Then there was Janice, his pastor's daughter. I thought that was going to work out until she discovered I believed in eternal security, and she didn't believe in eternal security. And she said she couldn't marry a guy that believed in eternal security, so she married this other guy who's like a five-point Calvinist. I'm like, what happened with that? 
And then later on, they came to my church. That was very confusing. I was rejected by Lori. I was rejected by Violet. I was rejected by Janice. And I never think about them. You know why? Because one day, Lois came along. It made me forget all those girls, except when I want to use them for a sermon illustration and bash them publicly. I'm telling you something. When I got on my Plymouth Duster over there at, at the, uh, at, at the uh, Southside Baptist Church on uh, September the 8th, 1979 and Lois got in the car with me in a beautiful wedding gown and we started off down I-75 to our little apartment in Ohio and she changed into another dress in the car she did it very discreetly changed into a little a really pretty mint green dress in the car I was not thinking about Lori and I wasn't thinking about Violet and whatever that other girl's name was I wasn't thinking about that trust me I was thinking about other stuff because there was this overwhelming love that came into my life and made me forget everything else. Jesus should make you forget about everything else. In comparison, right? Then this we rejoice. This is why I said, then this you rejoice on now for a little while, if necessary, you're grieved by various trials. So your blessings will outweigh your burdens, your blessings will outlast your burdens. Third, your blessings are often arranged to come out of your burdens. Your blessings are often arranged to result from your burdens this is what that's why he says it's necessary what well who thinks trials are necessary excuse me who said trials are necessary answer god uses trials to do stuff for you that will be a blessing and you you walk with the lord you know this is true you see this then there in verse seven so that the tested genuineness of your faith much more precious than gold that perishes though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor. And again, at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Notice, kept in heaven for you. Notice, received, revealed in the last time, verse 5. Kept in heaven for you, verse 4. It revealed in the last time, verse 5. At the revelation of Jesus Christ, verse 7. It's as if Peter, Jesus, expected us to not have our mindset on current things, but to have our mindset on the second coming, to have our mindset on heaven, for, to have our mindset on eternal life. This is for a little while, if necessary, you're grieved by various trials like a furnace that's refining you for something that good things are coming out of bad things. And this, this is why it says, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And some Bible scholars believe that, that certainly Jesus will get praise and honor but that this passage is saying, you will have praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Well done, good and faithful servant. You overcame the problem on your card because you saw the weight and the length, if you will, of the things that I promised you. There's so much more here that we don't want to rush through it. So I would invite you to think just for a minute of that old story that they tell. It may be apocryphal, but yet, you know, the man, the old man, that he's, he's bending over the, f- the furnace and he's refining gold or silver. Let's say it's silver. You remember the story, how it goes? It's, a, it's an apocryphal, it's a legend, but it's, it's instructive legend where the old man is he's bending over the silver and he's putting the silver into the hottest part of the fire. And the person watching goes, what are you doing? This has got to be in the hottest part of the fire. And how long, he says, until, the, until it, all the impurities are burned out of it, and it's perfect. And, and then the question was, and how do you know when it's been in the hottest part of the fire long enough, and all the impurities are burned out, and that's when he smiles, and he says, that's when I see my reflection in it, then I know. 
And every believer knows that thing on your card is helping you to become a reflection of Jesus Christ. We'll deal with the rest of this as we continue in this beautiful passage. But today we are so thrilled and thankful that we were able to gather together as Christians today in one place and sing and have communion. And we also have the privilege of welcoming two brand new young families into our church. And the way that works here is the, when a person wants to be a part of the Bethel Church, then they need to give a testimony of profession of faith in Jesus Christ and trust in the Lord. And they give that testimony of profession of faith in Christ to a couple of our elders who meet with them. The elders came back from meeting with Gab and Tasha Feller, Gabriel and Natasha. I think you guys are in our, you're up in a balcony. See up there, you can wave at them. <laughs> Thank you. And uh, they met with them interviewed them, found them to be professing Christians. Gab actually and, and Tasha hosted our men's firing on Thursday night, and they, the, the elders recommend them to our membership. Uh, we would vote them in, a, in the membership here in a moment. Matt and Nikki Moore, Matt's working, Nikki is here with us. We, we love them. God sent them our way, and they were baptized here, and they also have a desire to be a part of the fellowship of formally, and uh, the elders said they went over to their house and had a wonderful visit over there, and heard their story of faith, and without any qualification, rec recommend them also uh, to be members of church. What I want to do right now is I want to ask you, uh, those of you, so the elders have recommended both the Fellers and the Moors for membership in a church. Those in favor, say aye. aye. Those opposed, another sign. We're so thankful. Would you please stand today while another one of our elders, our Dave Parsons, is going to give us a blessing as we leave. Bless the Lord.